What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Kotz. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. This week on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I welcome one of America's great live bands, The Hold Steady. Plus, we'll review the much-anticipated new albums from Bruce Springsteen and Andrew Bird. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time to welcome our newest affiliate. That would be KSUT, which serves southwestern Colorado, Durango, Colorado, to be specific, uh, Jim. A fine radio station. And Normally, when we welcome one of our newest affiliates, we like to play a piece of music from that area. But we also periodically like to check in with one of the local record stores to see how one of those mom and pops is doing in this brave new world of the music industry. Yeah, what's going on in the southwestern corner of Colorado? They reach part of New Mexico. We wanted to find out. So we, uh, we're going to talk to Robert Stapleton, the owner of Southwest Sound in Durango, Colorado, record store there. Where exactly, uh, Robert, are you in relation to Ignacio, which is where KSUT is? Uh, we're probably about 15, 20 minutes north of there. All right. The Four Corners area. How long have you owned the store, Robert? I've owned this store for six years, and before that I worked for uh, Tower Records. Yes, the late, great Tower Records. And then you moved to Durango to open Southwest Sound? Uh, well, I got laid off, which happens to a lot of us. My brother-in-law has lived here for quite a while, and he called me up right after I got laid off and told me that the store was for sale, and uh, it's something I've loved to do. It just all fell into place. Robert, I'm quickly gleaning that you are a man after our own hearts. The experience of seeing one of the great or, or the best record chain in America go under did not discourage you still from entering the business of selling music. I've been told by many people, including Jay Leno at a, a live show, <laughs> what the heck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. so, but it's something I love. I get to learn more about music. One of the things that I found out about Durango before I came here is it was uh, quite a, a big bluegrass town. And uh, coming from Boston, I knew absolutely nothing about that, and it scared the bejeebies out of me. <laughs> so I've learned practically everything from my customers, um, and it's a great experience. Well, two key questions, Robert. A, how's business in this climate where record stores are closing in record numbers? And uh, B, what's really selling for you guys? Business has been really slow, but I don't think it really has to do with it being a record store. It's more just the economy and the climate right now. You can't eat a CD or put it in your <laughs> gas tank yet. So we're kind of third or fourth on the list sometimes. But the community is very supportive. Uh, but right now, my biggest seller has uh, been the Bon Iver CD, the last one. Yeah, um, yeah, we just talked about that a week or two ago. I don't want to judge any of the music. It's, it's, it's all good as far as I'm concerned, as long as people buy it. But it's not my case. <laughs> Uh, what about local bands? What do you like in your neck of the woods? What's... Well, it's a very eclectic town as far as music goes. We've got a lot of bluegrass, a lot of rock, a lot of country rock, a lot of singer-songwriter stuff. Uh, we even have a, a grindcore band. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, but uh, some of my favorites of is a, a CD, uh, Gigi Love, is a, a female singer-songwriter. Mm -hmm. Another one's the Brown Brothers. I don't think they're actually together anymore, but uh, reminded me a lot of like a Ryan Adams kind of sound. 
Um, there's another band called uh, In a Day. A bunch of local guys. Kind of sound like Rush meets Coldplay. Hmm. All right. That's intriguing. Yeah. Rush meets Coldplay. This is I Gotta Hear. Let's uh, listen to a song from uh, In a Day. In a day from uh, Durango, Colorado, I can hear that. Not quite the Getty Lee helium warble. <laughs> Actually, much more pleasant. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Robert, thank you so much for talking to us on Sound My Opinions. Pleasure. Hope to come up there to visit. Great. You're all welcome anytime. And welcome KSUT, Ignacio, Colorado, to Sound Opinions. That's 50 Cent with a song called I Get Money, in which he declares, I run New York. And Jim, if uh, things go the way they might in 2009, 50 Cent will be running a whole lot more. He's already running an apparel line. He's dishing out video games. He's got a vitamin water deal in the works. (laughs) This man only needs to own his own record company, and that may happen in 2009. He has that option. His old record deal ran out. He has sold tens of millions of records, but now he's a free agent along with a host of other major artists, including Metallica, Pearl Jam, Beck, Ryan Adams. We just had Radiohead on the show, a reprise of their 2006 interview in which they talked about the potential new future of the record business, the potential new future of Radiohead, going label-free, putting out a record on their own through their website. They, in fact, did that in 2007 within Rainbows, and were hugely successful doing it. We've seen these crossroads several times in the last couple of years, Greg, where, where huge mega bands like U2 and R.E.M. have come up to renew their deal. And people have said, look, you've established yourself yes. as a brand. Why do you need a major label to put out your records? And yet they've re-upped. Is that going to happen now with Metallica, with 50 Cent, with Pearl Jam? You know, why does Pearl Jam need a record label at this point? Well, they don't really, but what may be tempting to them is what uh, Madonna and U2 and Jay-Z have done, those 360 deals with an entity like Live Nation, where it's not just a record label anymore, but it's it's in charge of your merchandising, it's in charge of your internet site, it's in charge of your tour business, and it becomes a full-blown partnership with a large corporation. When you're talking about these multimedia stars, they're talking about multi-platforms. It's more than just about music. It'll be interesting to see if Metallica and 50 Cent go that same route. But is Pearl Jam really interested in that sort of thing? Haven't they always talked about it's all about us and the fans, man, and this and this right. website floating, floating their bootleg uh, concerts for free on their own website, that sort of thing. But but if you have artists of this caliber and that many of them suddenly decide we don't need labels anymore, that's going to be the last nail in the coffin for the music industry. Yes, indeed, Jim. What do our listeners think about this? Let's put them in the position of being the managers for one of these artists. What would they advise them to do in the year 2009? Go with a traditional label or do something completely different? Give us a call on our hotline with your responses, 1-888-859-1800, or send us an email at interact at soundopinions.org. Go back.
her place We went to some place where she catches She said I know I look tired But everything's fried here in Memphis that is a track from Stay Positive, the latest album from one of the best bands working in America today, The Hold Steady, originally out of Minneapolis, now based in New York. I think a lot of people may have heard of this band more as a live act than anything else, Jim. Meat and Potatoes, guitar-based rock and roll. And it's one of those cases where you see this band playing to bigger and bigger audiences every year. Yeah, absolutely, Greg. Now, we got them in a much more intimate setting when they came by the Jim and K. Maybe studio. Stripped down acoustic mode, which I think uh, is a whole new perspective. Craig Finn on vocals, Tad Kubler playing guitar, and Franz Nikolai on the accordion came by for a performance and a chat. We're here in the Jim and K. Maybe studio with three-fifths of the whole steady Craig Finn, Ted Kubler, Franz Nikolai. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Hi there. Good to be here. Absolutely. One of the, the great bands in America, very prolific, have put out four albums in, uh, since 2004, uh, the latest being Stay Positive. Originally out of uh, Minneapolis, now based in Brooklyn. I, I guess the place to start maybe uh, the transformation from uh, Lifter Puller, uh, the band you started in Minneapolis, which was uh, an indie rock band, for lack of a better term, and pavement-esque a little bit edgy, some angular edges in there, to the band that The Hold Steady has become. Not the same band by any stretch of the imagination. No, I, I think um, I moved to New York and Ted came a little bit later. So there was two years where we were playing no music. And I think that, that what happened during those two years is I really started paying more attention to the classic rock part of my record collection. And, you know, trying to keep up with indie bands became less fun for me. And putting on Exile on Main Street every night was was somewhat better. So I think that um, you always want to... You always want to uh, play music that you won't want to hear yourself and that's i guess the, the underlying reason that the hold steady um kind of just had more of a simple straightforward rock sound and, and moving to, to brooklyn had to be daunting i mean you guys don't know people there you're going to start this new band you're going to start at the bottom again yeah i mean the thing is we started we started with so much so little ambition that we really thought let's just get together tad was had moved to town i said you know it's so hard to get together with people in New York. That you know, let's let's get together. Let's put a Tuesday night. We're going to play music, and then we'll have a standing date to drink beer together. <laughs> uh, and that's really how it started. And you know, we didn't even know if we were going to play a show. And we when we finally played a show, then all of a sudden the ball started rolling. And in New York, things can happen really quickly. Craig, weren't you even talking about you were not even thinking about playing music when you moved to New York? I mean, that wasn't really the ambition to play in a band at that point, right? I mean, no, I, I mean, when I moved to New York, I thought I was done with music and I wanted to do some writing or something, maybe comedy. I thought I didn't know quite yet. I knew I didn't want to do anything that had heavy heavy equipment involved, which is <laughs> which is the biggest joke because I mean, our 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 equipment <laughs> is taking over the, the, our the, practice the, space, the, taking over the Kings County. Uh, right now, um, but you know, now now that we've got some crew and stuff, it doesn't seem as awful as people, it did. People outside of music don't understand what a pain in the neck it is to, to always be lugging these giant. Heavy, I mean, you know, Marshall Stack weighs like two hundred pounds. Yeah, and you know, the other thing is, is you you, you know, you you don't play music to learn about automotive stuff but you know suddenly you've got this van that you bought for a thousand dollars and you learn everything there is to about an engine always needs attention the biggest thing now too is not just how heavy the gear is but it's i mean it's actually with the amount of touring we're doing it's keeping everything working 
Mm. Um, like that's mm. a huge chore. You don't you don't think you think like oh, I've got this great amp and this great guitar and now I'm set. And it's like you know when you're flying around around the world and being on tour 200 plus days a year, stuff breaks mm. a lot. So that's a drag too. You guys uh, have a reputation as being a great live band. You do it on the big stages. I mean, you know, we've seen you out at, in front of you know tens of thousands of people at festivals like Lollapalooza and uh, Pitchfork here in Chicago. Was it always that way? Did, was it always a sense of you know the, the, this is going to be a big show? We're going to be able to project and and you know, play to the play to the cheap seats, as it were. Was it always this kind of a big sounding band where it was a an arena rock band in a club club band's clothing? I don't think so. I mean, I think we have a big sound, but I think, you know, when we first started, our goal was really to have as good of a time on, on stage as possible and hope it was contagious. But as we grew and got to these bigger clubs and bigger stages, it became a very conscious effort to sort of try to project to, you know, you, you, that that's the challenge you face, um, that not everyone can see real close or mm-hmm. see that you're smiling, see what beer you're drinking. Um, but you have to, you know, convince those people in the back too that this is this is what's happening. You know, that's what where they should focus their attention. And as a as a lead guitarist too, you you always kind of get up on stage thinking you're playing for two hundred thousand people. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of how you get you know you get your game face on. and You're like, all right, I'm going to go up there and this is going to be you know Madison Square Garden every night, even though there's twenty people at a bar somewhere. But you come out of the indie rock scene like you guys did in the '90s, and that wasn't the cool thing to do. You know, you didn't want to play arena rock; you wanted to be cooler than the audience in some ways and it wasn't about projecting i think that in one of the things that happened in the years between lifter puller and the hold steady is is sort of a rejection of that kind of elitism or um by us or by myself and at least you know not not really caring about obscure seven inches but you know really saying there should be someone who only buys the records at walmart that that can get into this and i hope they do well, let's let's get a song. You guys are sitting here now. Now we're talking about this big sound on stage, but but today it's just accordion and acoustic guitar and Craig on vocals, right? We can make yeah, you know, you know what I said about heavy stuff, <laughs> <laughs> which is how you have to play in the apartment in Brooklyn. We, right, took, a, right. we took a cab here. <laughs> yeah, excellent. We're right. magazines. One, two, three, four. <laughs> funny in the morning She isn't always funny in the night Once she gets a couple drinks in She's probably gonna tell you You ain't doing anything right Then you'll roll your eyes And then you'll probably fight in the traits and adoration She gets pretty wasted at the celebrations The benefits and the building dedications It's always sunny in the morning Sucks around the ending of the night and When she storms out of the restaurant Think you're supposed to chase her to the lights One boy hits her like a tambourine The other dissing me on her message machine 
Magazines and daddy issues I know you're pretty pissed I hope you'll still let me kiss you Magazines and daddy issues I know you're pretty pissed I hope you'll still let me kiss you Magazines and daddy issues I know you're pretty pissed I hope you'll still let me kiss you Magazines and daddy issues I know you're pretty pissed I hope you'll still let me Hope you'll still let me kiss you I hope you'll still let me kiss you One boy calls and the other texts She's got boys on board and boys on deck Second dates and lipstick tissues New York gets pretty heavy Girl, I hope it doesn't crush you Magazines and daddy issues I know you're pretty pissed Hope you still let me kiss you Second dates and lipstick tissues New York gets pretty heavy And girl, I hope it doesn't crush you Magazines and daddy issues Great stuff. Guitar rings on magazines by The Hold Steady on sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis. He's Greg Cott. This is fun, guys. Thank you again for coming in here. Oh, thanks for having us. That sounded great. Craig, wh- what was the impetus of that song? What were you <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what was her name? Uh, <laughs> She'll never hear this. <laughs> um, you know, just someone who, uh, you know, sometimes the way men and women argue differently, there's some people who want to get it done before mm. uh, they go to sleep and someone else who thinks if we can go to sleep, it won't be an argument tomorrow morning, <laughs> especially if alcohol's involved. That's all I'm going to say about that. One. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Coming up on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we're going to continue our conversation with the guys from The Hold Steady. And later on, Jim and I are going to review an album from one of The Hold Steady's idols, Bruce Springsteen. I can't write a whole plan so to get back in touch, and it's a pretty good feeling. Yeah, it feels pretty good. I get a lot of double takes when I'm coming around the corners, and it's mostly pretty nice. Yeah, it's mostly pretty all right, because most kids give me credit for being down with it when it was back in the day, back when things were way different, when the youth of today, in the early seven seconds, taught me some of life's most valuable lessons. When the scene will seem less sunny It'll probably get druggy And the kids will seem too skinny There's gonna come a time When she's gonna have to go With whoever's gonna get her the highest There's gonna come a time When the true scene leaders Will forget where they differ And get big picture Cause the kids at the shows They'll have kids of their own And the sing-along songs Will be our scriptures I think his name was Chips Ahoy. 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We're going to continue our discussion with the Brooklyn-based band, The Hold Steady. And I asked Craig Finn, the singer, about his association with the more hyper-literary wing of American songwriters. Speaking of uh, lyrics and the content of the songs, people uh, you know, dig into you guys for a number of reasons, but... Craig, you keep getting saddled with this idea. You know, he's a you know he's a literary songwriter who drops a lot of literary allusions into his songs. And and how do you feel working in that tradition? I mean, that that has also been a tag applied to you know the Lou Reeds and the Nick Caves of the world. Um, Springsteen, Springsteen, obviously. Do you feel that that accurately describes what you're trying to do in the lyrics? Well, I mean, the, I, it's it's kind of what I said before. You kind of want to make music or write lyrics that you'd like to hear. And I mean, these people that you're mentioning, Lou Reed, Nick Cave, and Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, those are, you know, the, my favorite lyricists. So it's kind of, you know, comes down from from what you like to listen to. But it also, I do read a lot, and that definitely influences what, you know, how, how I think. I think as a writer, as important as writing is, it, you know, reading is a huge part of it also, and, and just sort of, you know, understanding uh, what came before. And I think what's interesting to me is, you know, I've had these discussions with uh, college professors about Dylan, and they were always talking about the words. And I said, you know, the words are great, but it, it's the, the music that na- nails you first. I mean, it's got to be the music. And when when you're thinking about these words, I mean, obviously there's words that scan pretty well on the page, but they don't work as music. And how do you think about that when you're when you're composing? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think it's like you have to find the right meter, and so. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. You know, the Dylan obviously is a brilliant lyricist, but the ones, the, the songs that you that America, the world remembers, are the ones that kind of have the best melodies and the uh, the most uh, most memorable choruses, etc. So I, it's finding not just the right thing to say, but the right way to say it in, in terms of you know the music. How does that work with the band? I mean, Ted and Franz, how does how does that work when? You know, is it a set of lyrics? Do you have chords behind them, melodies behind them already when, when you're bringing it to the band? Or No, no, I, 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 I write just the lyrics. So I write in little books, and these guys come in with parts, and then I sort of flip through my books and say, yeah, I think this is going to work. I'll fix it up to make yeah. it work with this thing. It's, I mean, yeah, the creative burst starts with, you know, a lot of times Franz or myself with, with a piece of music can come in, and I usually come in with a, with a few different like I've never come in with something like hey I wrote a song here's how it goes it's more like I really like these three parts that work together and then we sit down and arrange stuff and Franz you know Franz does similar thing and uh and we definitely write as a band you know it's it's but with the lyrics it's like it's kind of it's interesting it's really fun for 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 us and for me personally because the limitations of our rehearsal space I can't always tell what Craig's saying mm. so you write this song and you rehearse and you rehearse and you rehearse and then you go in the studio and you track and you do different takes and all this kind of stuff and and you're kind of like, God, I'm tired of playing the song. And then Craig gets in there, and the story unfolds, and it breathes an entirely new life into the song. And that's the really fun part about it, you know, on, for us in writing. On a couple of occasions, we have worked from a complete set of lyrics. That's, like Craig, yeah, that's will, true. Craig will come and say, Here's, I've got this thing. See what you can do with it in terms of setting it. And that's, that's the exception, but it's a neat exercise. Craig, let's, let's, before we leave the topic of lyrics, let's talk about Kerouac. Uh, the last album, Boys and Girls in America, was that was a line from Kerouac, right? Yeah, yeah. And obviously Dylan and, and Springsteen both hugely inspired. What is it about his poetry in particular and his prose? Well, that- I think for, for one, you know, as a musician, it, there's, a, there's a rhythm to it. You know, when you read Kerouac and then you read it aloud, it, it really comes alive. Yeah. And there's this meter that he has that, you know, obviously, you know, takes in bebop and things like that. With Kerouac, myself personally, when I, I, I read it when I was young on the road, and, and you know it, it didn't quite connect. But I, as a 32 year old, I went back to it and read, 
And it struck me as very, he was very funny to me when I reread it as an adult. Having more life experience made me realize, like, you know, this is interesting. But the, there are two other things that um, really interested me about Kerouac. One, that he had sort of a traditional – I don't want to say conservative because not politically, but a traditional Well, background. he wound up being very conservative yeah, later in right, life. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And it, but just sort of, you know, the football player in mm-hmm. him. He was not a degenerate uh, – you know, he may have drank a lot, but he was – he kind of came from this all-American – boy you know a running back yeah, a stock sure. and I, I thought that was interesting um you know he uh, it, it, when you put that next to say ginsburg or something yeah and or also <laughs> or burroughs right and then uh, also the, the, the idea that he he was somewhat more of a recordist than a participant you know like mm. you know he kind of seemed like he was in the back seat with his notebook riding along but not driving you know mm-hmm. and um that that seemed interesting to me too because he he was you know a, a writer more than he was chronicling these things that he would have done alone. Well, you know, the thing, too, about Kerouac uh, that I think is, is a strength in your work is that, you know, romanticism has become the bane of modern society. and Nobody wants to be romantic. Right. You know, it's Hallmark card, right? You know, especially after the alternative era where everything was about irony. Never, 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 never yeah. say anything that you mean. You're not afra- afraid to to praise something, whether it's a beautiful woman or, a, uh, you know, a wonderful uh, a sunset. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's part of a connection to what we were saying earlier about being inclusive, by, by, by trying to be honest and saying, like, you know, putting yourself out there and say, this is how I really feel. Hmm. Um, people, I, in turn, have reacted to that. I mean, I think that's one of the, the, the things that we found, not just in the lyrics, but in sort of our whole presentation. Uh, being a little older, maybe, or, or, or you know, how we present the band is, is sort of like, well, this is this is it. This is what we do. We plug in and we play music. And there, you know, um, if you like it, you should come back. Yeah. And, and that's and that's it's been really exciting to see you know how many people respond to that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How about another song, guys? Yeah, we're gonna do one for the cutters. When there weren't any parties, she parked by the quarry, walked into the woods until she came to a clearing where townies would gather and drink until blackout, smoke six till they're sick. Pack bowls and then pass out Windows wide open To let the heart rock in This was a rage That didn't need much convincing The girls gave her glares But the boys were quite pleasant To be totally honest They didn't seem that different When there weren't any parties Sometimes she'd party with the townies the parties out on the parkways it was always arousing the way they'd rev up their engines it was hard to describe so she kept it a secret the girls that she lived with they knew nothing about it and the night with the fight and that butterfly knife was the first night she talked to that townie she liked she gave him a ride to some kid's house in Cleveland. He stayed there for two weeks with the cops finally found him. He didn't seem that different, except for the blood on his jacket. 
Yeah, don't say that different Except for maybe his haircut He didn't see that different He didn't see that different Up until that one little incident He didn't see that different Now the cops want to question Everyone present They parade every town and town Through the station No one says nothing and they can't find the weapon And the girl takes the stand and she swears she was with him Her father's lawyers do most of the talking She's sick of the questions She's sick of the concepts of justice and fairness And who the hell cares? Who gets caught in the middle? She smokes and she ponders this riddle. One town he falls in the forest. Does anyone hear it? One town he falls. One town he falls in the forest. Does anyone notice? One town he falls. One drop of blood on immaculate cats. Mom, do you know where your girl is? A sophomore accomplice in a turtleneck sweater. Dad, do you know where your kids are? Stepping at Crystal and Little cars get nailed against dumpsters behind towny bars. It's a cute little town, boutiques and cafes. Her friends seem really nice. She was getting good grades. But when she came back for Christmas, she just seemed different and distant. All right, one for the Cutters from The Hold Steady. That is from their 2008 album, Stay Positive. Uh, We were joking earlier with Franz and the band about the accordion. And, you know, it's interesting about this record, prominently featured uh, not only that, but the keyboards being a part of There's, I think, harpsichord on that track on the record, if I'm not mistaken. So you guys sort of expanded the palette a little bit on this record. Was that something that you uh, focused on? Yeah, well, I mean, there's always the idea to, 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 to try and expand it, even if only to entertain myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> was it a real harpsichord? Or it was a real harpsichord. Uh, I have a, a friend who's a story. professor up at uh, Sarah Lawrence College, and, um, and we, we sort of snuck up there with a little Pro Tools unit and recorded it on the sly. He let us in. Excellent. Yeah. Very cool. It's not easy to find a harpsichord. It turns <laughs> no. out it's not easy to find a harpsichord. Well, it's interesting where you guys have come from. When you guys were arriving in New York, getting this band together, there weren't a whole lot of harpsichords and accordions going on at the time. There was a lot of uh, yeah, yeah, yeahs and rapture and strokes, and uh, everybody was cooler than the room. And then, then you guys come out of that whole scene. Well, Craig used to have a faux hawk, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you have a faux hawk when you first got to Brooklyn? 
sleeveless for a whole year. (laughs) (laughs) That's about as close as you got to being cool. (laughs) Uh, How was that? You know, everybody talked about what New York was like. What was it like for you guys as as the band was forming? Well, when we were starting, I mean, you know, there was just this unrealization, the realization that no one's kind of doing this straight rock and roll thing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to say... it's almost like uh, taking a contrarian stance or, you know, taking mm. short selling the market. It's like, uh, hey, no one's doing this. So by nature of this, it might be cooler than what's going on right right, right now. Two years from now, it might be a good place to be. So, <laughs> um, you know, and it, it, at the same time, I think what we try to do is something that's somewhat timeless. And so I don't think that, you know, I think we're kind of guarded against recession or whatever go, going in and out, you know, um, being in a dance punk band in 2002 was probably a pretty great thing but by mm-hmm. 2005 you know it's hard to hard to get the, you know the mercury lounge full of that right right and 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 tad we you know we've talked about this before but you know, there wasn't a lot of love going around at the time for Thin Lizzy chords, and uh, you know, ACDC is always perennial. Ted, Ted Leo's but, uh, been doing it, and he's, yeah. he's 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 awesome at it. But um, you know, as we've all said before, because trends don't really dictate what we do in, in terms of musically or really anything like that. It's it's something that as long as we continue to have fun doing this, we're always we're always going to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a nice part of it. I think uh, right right as we started the band, uh, I saw the drive by truckers who we ended up touring with this year. There was a realization they can't. People can't take it away from them. That's just how they are, you know? So it's like, you know, you can't dress it up in another suit. You can't take their photo in another way. That's what what they what you see is what you get, and yeah. that, there's a real power in that. There's a real power in that, and, and I think we were talking about this earlier as well. Uh, you and the Drive-By Truckers are bands that actually look like they're really enjoying themselves on stage. Yeah. People are smiling up there, which is, uh, which is infectious. People love to see that. Uh, and, and then you realize... Why do they love to see that? Because they see it so rarely. And then you wonder, why, why is that? You know? Well, I, yeah. you know, I have to make a confession. I mean, you know, Greg is a huge fan of you guys. And as a result, I was skeptical to begin with, <laughs> right? Because, you know, I mean, I, I have to disagree with him. Yeah. Also, I have this Springsteen problem. You know, I've heard I, you. I've heard the Springsteen I, I, show about a year ago. <laughs> I grew up in Jersey. It's just it. It ain't. You know, it's like yeah, I got this. So I was dubious for a long time. Started to come around a little bit more um, uh, with the last record, but then really, I, I finally connected with you guys live and saw you at Pitchfork, and it blew my mind. It, and it was then it was that joy and that energy and enthusiasm that came and said, you know. I've just been being a jerk, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but there is that exuberance. So it's not just cot blathering on. It is just this exuberance live that, that anyone who's skeptical, I, I think uh, you have the power to win over. I mean, that's, that's just, you know, really kind of f- trying to funnel, like, the joy that rock and roll has given, I think, all of us. That's certainly the best job any of us have had, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but, but, you know, but, but even beneath that, you know, just, just the sort of hope and excitement that, that you know, rock and roll – has brought at different po- different points in my life, you know. I mean, from seeing the replacements in the Seventh Street entry growing up, and mm. being fortunate to grow see some of that those real cool Minneapolis bands growing up, and and the excitement. But even say that trucker show I saw at Bow- Bowery Ballroom in like roughly '03, that was like, oh my god, I think this is really it's giving me that that the tingles, you know, like, yeah, you know, yeah. where yeah. where you say the chills, where you say this is I can't believe this is happening to me even after going to 400 shows in my life. <laughs> right, right, right. Which is why we all go out every night. I mean, people ask yeah. Greg and I, you know, you know, how do you work it up to go out to review Britney Spears? And it's like nobody wants to go out and have a bad time. You want to go out and be blown away, mm. even by Britney Spears, as unlikely <laughs> yeah. as that might be. 
Have you? I believe that it's possible. She's it could be possible. (laughs) It could be. Not necessarily in the best way. (laughs) But have you guys heard from, you know, I mean, there's songs like where you'll reference four tracks on on, uh, Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin and stuff, you know, and and you've had these Springsteen nods and been compared to so many of your heroes. Have you had the experience of having any of those people say, I'm a Hold Steady fan? Well, Springsteen, um, uh, we got to meet, and that was really cool. Well, we sang. I sang with him. We all sort of joined him on stage at Carnegie Hall, and I sang with him. And then um, on the way on the way off, he just said, "I, I sang most of Rosalita, which is uh, <laughs> pretty." It's it that when I woke up that morning, that's not how I thought my night would end. Uh, <laughs> um, but it was pretty surreal. And uh, he just put his arm around me on the way off stage and said, "Thanks for holding him down out there, man." <laughs> and, uh, um, and I got a chance to meet him. Uh, six months later or so and it, you know it, it's uh, what's interesting to me about bruce springsteen and bob dylan and even joe strummer is that they are encyclopedic about rock and roll and i think knowing and being a rock and roll fan really informs their ability to perform and and you know i think that the maybe that's what we're trying to tap into i mean i love music i buy new records and i'm still excited by rock and roll and that's sort of what I'm trying to you know yeah. Uh, trying to show. We want to thank Craig Finn, uh, Tad Kubler, friends, Nikolai, uh, for coming in. Great to have you guys here. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for pleasure. having us. Comments on our Hold Steady interview or anything we ever talk about on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. Greg and I will be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with reviews of the latest from Bruce Springsteen and Andrew Bird. So we sailed off on some separate trips. She got pent down at the party pit. Shopping mall Sailed away on such separate trips And she got bent down at the party pit Sailed away on such separate trips And she got bent down at the party pit And I came back to start a band, of course I saw her walking through the crystal court She made a scene by the revolving door Drink some more. So we walked across that grain belt bridge into Brian, New Minneapolis. She said, I'm thinking all those things I did. What's just momentum from the party pit? Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That, of course, can only be one person. That is not the hold steady. That is <laughs> Bruce Springsteen with the song My Lucky Day from his latest album. 
Working on a Dream, the 16th studio album of a career that stretches back to the early 70s. Springsteen's been uh, famously one of those artists who releases no album before its time. He can take two, three, four, sometimes five years between albums. But in this case, he's been on a tremendous roll lately. He put out an album called Magic in 2007 with the E Street Band, and 15 months later, he's back with yet another record. Basically, a continuation of the recording sessions that he started with producer Brendan O'Brien. This also coincides with the fact that Springsteen is hyping his return to the music business in a big way. He'd been away for a few years, not so high profile anymore. Now he's participating in a big way in the recent inauguration ceremonies for President Barack Obama, and he's going to be the entertainment at the halftime of the Super Bowl in Florida in a few days. He's getting Uh, a lot of hype for that wrestler movie. Absolutely, and and now he's got this new studio record. Springsteen is uh, working again with the E Street Band regularly. That was a famous partnership that began in the 70s, continued a bit through the 80s. He went away from that and started making, uh, working with other musicians, making solo records. But lately that partnership has been renewed, and uh, Springsteen is working in some new territory on this record. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but let's hear a track from it first. This is an epic song on the record. It's actually the first song on the record. It's eight minutes long. We're not going to be able to play all of it, but you'll certainly get a strong taste for the new direction that Springsteen is going in with this particular song. It's called Outlaw Pete from the new album Working on a Dream by Bruce Springsteen on Sound Opinions. A 25 Mustang pony heated steel And it rolled around and round on heaven's wheel Father Jesus, I'm an outlaw killer and a thief I slowed down only to sow my grief I'm outlaw peace I'm outlaw peace Can you hear me? He cut his trail of tears across the countryside And where he That is Outlaw Pete, the opening track from the 16th studio album by Bruce Springsteen, Working on a Dream. All right, now, longtime listeners to Sound Opinions know that I am not a Bruce Springsteen fan. In fact, I have a bit of a problem, and it is one of the biggest sources of disagreements between uh, <laughs> you and me, Mr. Cott. In fact, Greg Finn just called me on not liking Springsteen. Nevertheless, I do my due diligence. I try to understand each new Springsteen album as it comes. What I will tell you right off the bat is that that song, Outlaw Pete, is one of the worst unbelievably bad that Springsteen has ever written. What is it, seven or eight minutes long? It's this endless epic where he is trying to craft a new American mythological hero like Paul Bunyan or the mighty Casey, and Bruce strikes out. Half of this album, Greg, is Springsteen by numbers. The big E Street retro sound, Clarence Clements, world's worst saxophonist, blah, 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 Phil Spector, (laughs) lucky day. He's so happy. You know, I personally do not like that mode of Springsteen. Nevertheless, 
It's the other half of the album that's even worse, the stylistic experiments. He's trying to do John Spencer Blues Explosion or the White Stripes on that song Good Eye. trying to do Pet Sounds Beach Boys at some point. Mind you, this is a guy who cannot sing. I don't know what the heck he was thinking. <laughs> you know, this business of two albums in 15 months, bands at their prime often put out two or three albums in a, in a 15 or, or 16 month span, Bruce. But okay, you know, you put this out real quick. I think they're, they're hyping that because it's a deterrence machine to steer us away from the fact that it is only half an album. It's a lousy record, a trash it record. I'm sorry. Let's hear what you have to say. Well, I'm surprised you didn't even mention the worst song on the record, which is Queen of the Supermarket. Um, oh, my God, yeah. It's a mash note to a grocery store employee, and it's not very good. That's uh, the part where he says he's really sexy because she keeps her hair up under the cap that yeah. she has to wear. Well, you know, I wish there were actually more details like that in this record. This is the flip side of the Magic record, which was a very dark, anxious record, uh, kind of a throwback to the Springsteen of Darkness on the Edge of Town. It was a dire time in America, and the songs reflected that in a lot of ways. This can uh, be seen to coincide with the Obama inauguration, although the songs aren't overtly political, but it's about the renewal and the redemption that you can get through romance, and he's referencing a lot of 60s pop material, uh, stuff that he heard on the radio. You mentioned Spectre, but there's also late period doo-wop. There's some birds in here. There's some CCR, and that's nice. I mean, Springsteen has always been about musical traditions and sort of updating them, but the songs aren't very good. Uh, What I look for from Springsteen is that lyrical insight. He's very good at drawing character sketches with a lot of empathy in the course of about three minutes, and he does that on a couple of songs on this record. That's that's the bottom line here for me. Uh, Musically, it's okay if you understand where he's coming from. I mean, Outlaw Pete is his attempt to do something like, you know, the legend of John Henry's hand or the ballad of Jesse James. I don't think it's a particularly good song. It almost sounds like a parody of that sort of thing. But those character studies that he's so great at are not a part of this record. And that's what's really missing. And it does sound dashed off. There are about four worthwhile Springsteen songs on this record. The Last Carnival, The Wrestler, My Lucky Day, and Working on a Dream. For me, Jim, it's a burn it record. The rest of it is pretty bad by Springsteen standards. We rate things on buy it, burn it, trash it. I already gave it a trash it. This is an historic day. Historic, I tell you, in Sound Opinion's history. This is the first even mildly critical verbiage you have expressed on the mighty Bruce. You're <laughs> no, losing that's it. True. That's not You're, true. No, I, I believe it is. That's You're not losing true. it. I like right? magic, though. I did like magic. I don't like this record at all. Comes and goes like a fits and Spells like the weather And it blows Like it knows what's going wrong Like it's clever That is a song called Fitz and the Dizzy Spells by Andrew Bird on Sound Opinions from his new album, the fifth studio solo album he's released, Noble Beast. Andrew Bird is a Chicago singer, songwriter, and violin virtuoso, as well as a whistler, non-pareil, who has uh, been operating in the margins for a long time. Started his career with a band called Bowl of Fire that uh, really did a weird mix of, of gypsy 
Eastern European blues and old-time jazz and uh, Brechtian cabaret. <laughs> it was off-putting. It was strange. It was it was impressively constructed, and it didn't appeal to a lot of people. But a funny thing has happened to Andrew Bird on the way into the studio to do this new album, Noble Beast. He started selling records. More than 100,000 copies of his last disc, Armchair Apocrypha, sold in 2007. And now there's a lot of hype. There was a fawning New York Times profile of him late last year gearing up for the release of this record. The funniest line in it was the uh, one of the owners of a local rock club called The Hideout was trying to explain to the New York reporter who had flown into Chicago, you know, who, who had made the trek like all those reporters during the campaign, let's see what it's like in the hinterlands, right? Yeah. In Chicago. And was trying to understand why Bird was playing such a small club. The Hideout's a really small dive. And uh, Katie Tutton, one of the owners, said, well, you know, technically we only have about 70 people, uh, you know, capacity. But when Andrew Bird plays, we can squeeze a lot more in because all of his fans are skinny girls with glasses. <laughs> I know exactly what she meant. And I have since heard that line from six or seven other people who love Andrew Bird, have worked with Andrew Bird, are fans of Andrew Bird. There's this phenomenon. He has become this sort of geek sex symbol and is becoming an anti-pop star or is positioned to with Noble Beast, which Fat Possum, his label, hopes is going to sell even more than the last record. That's kind of how he got here. Let's listen to the music and talk about what we're hearing on this record. This is a song called Oh No by Andrew Bird on Sound Opinions. Of remains of what was stopped and said, all the calcified arithmetists were doing the math. And it would take a calculated blow to the head to light the eyes of all the homeless sociopaths. Oh, I'm and on, we are the homeless sociopaths. Oh, I'm and on with all the homeless sociopaths. Calcium mines are buried deep in your chest, so calcium mines are buried deep in your chest. Oh no, from Andrew Bird's latest album, Noble Beast on Sound Opinions. A little bit of Bird in a capsule there. The uh, lovely, classically trained violin playing. The incredibly on-key and melodic whistling. I think it's a truly extraordinary gift that this guy has. He's a good whistler. Absolutely. And uh, sort of a warm, ingratiating singing style. He doesn't over-sing. It's it's, it's very conversational. Pretty much of a straight-ahead melody. One of the most straight-ahead melodies he's ever written. I think that's one of the reasons that this album is being positioned the way it is as Andrew Bird's big breakthrough record because there are a couple of songs on here that skew a little bit more towards the mainstream indie rock sound as opposed to those gypsy-flavored, East European, jazz swing hybrids that he was creating on past records. The problem with this record, albeit there are a couple of very impressive songs, there are a lot of songs with those multisyllabic strings of words that if you can figure out what exactly he's singing about, you're a better person than I. But, you know, the obtuseness doesn't bother me. What does bother me about this record is that it really trails off near the end. He takes a long time getting into a lot of these songs. They're lugubrious. They move very slowly. 
he talks about dizzy spells. Well, the only dizzy spell I'm thinking about is I want to lay my head on a pillow after a while <laughs> and fall asleep. You know, I wish there were more consistent, better songs throughout this record, but the last third of it is pretty slow moving. And in general, I don't think the songwriting is where it needs to be for this guy. I understand his appeal. As a live performer, he's pretty amazing to watch. But as a studio record, which is based on songs, the songs aren't here. There's only a couple of really good ones on this record. So uh, what's your verdict? Buy it, burn it, it, trash it. On the buy it, burn it, trash it scale, Jim, it's a burn it at best. Uh, I gotta say, I'm a trash it. I, you know, the, you said the obtuseness does not bother you. It sure as heck bothers me. I don't know if you can have a pop song that doesn't have an emotional core. Andrew Bird is more interested in telling us all the big words that he knows than he is in telling us anything about life. Well, there, the music can be emotional. You know, yeah, the, I, the combination of harmonics and the rhythms that can listen, be good. Listen, I, you know, the pizzicato violin thing—it just drives me crazy. It's like this weird tick. And you said his voice is not unappealing to me. It is. It's very slippery and slidey, and it's a trash record but what do i know i'm a fat guy with glasses so jim leaving no doubt about where he stands on andrew bird next week we have a little bit more controversy for you we have the issue of copyright lawsuits a long history culminating recently with joe satriani suing coldplay for plagiarizing one of his songs allegedly we're going to get behind some of these lawsuits and tell you what they're all about Greg, as always, Sound Opinions was produced by our ace team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. And our fearless leader, our executive producer, a man who can whistle pretty well himself, Tori Southside Malatia. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. I'm in the phone booth, it's a one across the hall. Hey guys, this is Dave in New Jersey, calling to commend you on an excellent buried treasure show to start the new year. I wanted to especially thank you for not bringing up anything like Kanye West or Lil Wayne or anything that that we might hear on hits radio across the country, because I think I speak for much of your audience when I say that we really don't care what you have to say about hits radio acts. And keep up the good work with the buried treasure type stuff. Love the show. Thanks. Hi, Jimmy Greg. Uh, it's Rachel. I'm from Pittsburgh. And I'm calling in about your recent Buried Treasures episode. I just got around to listening to it. And I think you guys are actually trying to bankrupt me because I really love most of the music that you guys played this time, which is kind of a pity because I just don't have that much money. <laughs> Keep up the good work. It's all amazing. I'm I'm really into this, like, shoegaze move that you're into. It's, just, it's exactly up my alley. Thanks so much for all the suggestions. I'm gonna have new music to listen to. That's totally exciting. Bye. Hi, this is Anne Onimus from uh, Durham, North Carolina. I'm calling with one of my favorite presidential songs, which is by The Damned. It's called Bad Times for Bonzo, and it's from the album Strawberries. Bad times for me, bad times for Bonzo. 
And when I first saw the name The Damned in the late 70s, early 80s, I assumed this was going to be a really raucous band. They're actually incredibly musical and bright, too. I'm Geraldine Conrad. I had to make a comment about the uh, presidential music today. It's very uh, a very entertaining show, but I have to take issue with the canard that everybody says the presidency ages people far beyond their years. I am the same age as George Bush and Bill Clinton, and I have watched myself and others around me in this age cohort age as much as those two. And I'm always taken for much younger than I am, and I work out every day, et cetera. But I think we all age a lot at, at this time period. And if you notice, presidents never die. They live long lives. They have wonderful pensions. They're well taken care of. And I, for one, would love to make those decisions in lieu of waiting for buses, climbing over snow mountains, and the various and sundry things that all of us go through on a daily basis. I just had a call because everybody says they age more and they don't. And my friends and I all agree it's ridiculous. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, it's Patrick Foy from Omaha, Nebraska. And my nomination for the best presidential song is a song by Billy Bragg and Wilco, but it was written by Woody Guthrie, and it's called Christ for President. gotten a lot of stick the last eight years because of President Bush, and that's why it's nice to hear a song like this, because it's just a song about the best parts of Christianity, right? You feed the hungry, you house the homeless, and you stop corruption, and really, that's what it's all about, and that's what it should be all about. And also, let's be honest, it'd be really cool if Jesus were president. That's my nomination. Have a good one. No more messages. To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.